Book Four, Chapter One of the New Republic by William Hurl Maddock. This LibriVox recording is in the public domain. Recording by phone. No proposal could have been happier than Lady Grace's of the garden banquet in the pavilion. It seemed to the guests when they were all assembled there that the lovely summer's day was going to close with a scene from fairyland the table itself with its flowers and glowing fruit and its many-coloured phoenician glass shone and gleamed and sparkled in the evening light that was turning outside to a cool mellow amber and above from the roof in which the dusk was already darkness hung china lamps in the shape of green and purple grape clusters looking like luminous fruits stolen from aladdin's garden the pavilion open on all sides was supported on marble pillars that were almost hidden in red and white roses behind the eye rested on great tree trunks and glades of rich foliage and before it would pass over turf and flowers till it reached the sea beyond on which in another hour the faint silver of the moonlight would begin to tremble there was something in the whole scene that was at once calming and exhilarating and nearly all present seemed to feel in some measure this double effect of it dr jenkinson had been quite restored by an afternoon's nap and his face was now all a-twinkle with a fresh benignity that had however like an early spring morning just a faint suspicion of frost in it mr storks even was less severe than usual and as he raised his champagne to his lips he would at times look very nearly conversational my dear lawrence exclaimed mr herbert it really almost seems as if your visions of the afternoon had come true and that we actually were in your new republic already i can only say that if it is at all like this it will be an entirely charming place too charming perhaps but now remember this you have but half got through the business to which you first addressed yourself that of forming a picture of a perfect aristocracy an aristocracy in the true and genuine sense of the word you are all to have culture or taste very good you have talked a great deal about that and you have seen what you mean by it and you have recognized above all that it includes a discrimination between right and wrong but now you with all this taste and culture you gifted men and women of the nineteenth century what sort of things does your taste teach you to reach out towards in what actions and aims in what affections and emotions would you place your happiness this is what i want to hear the practical manifestations of this culture ah uh, said mr rose i have at this moment a series of essays in the press which would go far towards answering these questions of yours they do indeed deal with just this the effect of the choicer culture of this century on the soul of man the ways in which it endows him with new perceptions how it has made him in fact a being altogether more highly organized all i regret is that these choicer souls these harientes are as yet like flowers that have not found a climate in which they can thrive properly that mental climate will doubtless come with time what we have been trying to do this afternoon is i imagine nothing more than to anticipate it in imagination well said mr herbert with a little the tone of an inquisitor that is just what i have been asking what will this climate be like and what will these flowers be like in this climate how would your culture alter and better the present if its powers were equal to its wishes mr rose's soft lulling tone harmonized well with the scene and hour and the whole party seemed willing to listen to him or at any rate no one felt any prompting to interrupt him i can show you an example mr herbert he said of a culture demanding a finer climate in if you will excuse my seeming egoism in myself for instance to take the widest matter i can fix upon the general outward surroundings of our lives often when i walk about london and see how hideous its whole external aspect is 
and what a dissonant population throng it a chill feeling of despair comes over me consider how the human eye delights in form and colour and the ear in tempered and harmonious sounds and then think for a moment of a london street think of the shapeless houses the forest of ghastly chimney-pots of the hell of distracting noises made by the carts the cabs the carriages think of the bustling commonplace careworn crowds that jostle you think of an omnibus think of a four-wheeler i often ride in an omnibus said lord allen with a slight smile to miss merton it is true replied mr rose only overhearing the tone in which these words were said that one may ever and again catch some touch of sunlight that will for a moment make the meanest object beautiful with its furtive alchemy but that is nature's work not man's and we must never confound the accidental beauty that nature will bestow on man's work even at its worst with the rational and designed beauty of man's work at its best it is this rational human beauty that i say our modern city life is so completely wanting in nay the look of out-of-door london seems literally to stifle the very power of imagining such beauty possible indeed as i wander along our streets pushing my way among the throngs of faces faces puckered with misdirected thought or expressionless with none barbarous faces set towards parliament or church or scientific lecture-rooms or government offices or counting-houses i say as i push my way amongst all the sights and sounds of the streets of our great city only one thing ever catches my eye that breaks in upon my mood and warns me i need not despair and what is that asked ellen with some curiosity the shops mr rose answered of certain of our upholsterers and dealers in works of art their windows as i look into them act like a sudden charm on me like a splash of cold water dashed on my forehead when i am fainting for i seem there to have got a glimpse of the real heart of things and as my eyes rest on the perfect pattern many of which are really quite delicious indeed when i go to ugly houses i often take a scrap of some artistic cretonne with me in my pocket as a kind of aesthetic smelling salts i say when i look in at their windows and my eyes rest on the perfect pattern of some new fabric for a chair or for a window curtain or on some new design for a wallpaper or on some old china vase i become at once sharply conscious mr herbert that despite the ungenial mental climate of the present age strange yearnings for and knowledge of true beauty are beginning to show themselves like flowers above the weedy soil and i remember amidst the roar and clatter of our streets and the mad noises of our own times that there is amongst us a growing number who have deliberately turned their backs on all these things and have thrown their whole souls and sympathies into the happier art ages of the past i have gone back said mr rose raising his voice a little to athens and to italy to the italy of leo and to the athens of pericles to such men the clamour the interests the struggles of our own times become as meaningless as they really are to them the boyhood of bathyllus is of more moment than the manhood of napoleon borgia is a more familiar name than bismarck i know indeed and i really do not blame them several distinguished artists who resolving to make their whole lives consistently perfect will on principle never admit a newspaper into their houses that is of later date than the times of addison and i have good trust that the number of such men is on the increase men i mean said mr rose toying tenderly with an exquisite wine-glass of salviati's who with a steady and set purpose follow art for the sake of art beauty for the sake of beauty love for the sake of love life for the sake of life 
mr rose's slow gentle voice which was apt at certain times to become peculiarly irritating sounded now like the evening air grown articulate and had secured him hitherto a tranquil hearing as if by a kind of spell this however seemed here in sudden danger of snapping what mr rose exclaimed lady ambrose do you mean to say then that the number of people is on the increase who won't read the newspapers why the men must be absolute idiots said lady grace shaking her grey curls and putting on her spectacles to look at mr rose mr rose however was imperturbable of course he said you may have newspapers if you will i myself always have them though in general they are too full of public events to be of much interest i was merely speaking just now of the spirit of the movement and of that we must all of us here have some knowledge we must all of us have friends whose houses more or less embody it and even if we had not we could not help seeing signs of it signs of how true and earnest it is in the enormous sums that are now given for really good objects that said lady grace with some tartness is true enough thank god but i can't see said lady ambrose whose name often figured in the times in the subscription lists of advertised charities i can't see mr rose any reason in that why we should not read newspapers the other day for instance said mr rose reflectively i heard of eight chelsea shepherdesses picked up by a dealer i really forget where in some common cottage if i recollect aright covered with dirt giving no pleasure to any one and these were all sold in a single day and not one of them fetched less than two hundred and twenty pounds i can't help thinking that they must have come from Tremorne, said mrs sinclair softly but why said mr rose should i speak of particular instances we must all of us have friends whose houses are full of priceless treasures such as these the whole atmosphere of whose rooms really seems impregnated with art seems in fact mr herbert such an atmosphere as we should dream of for our new republic to be sure exclaimed lady ambrose feeling that she had at last got upon solid ground by the way mr rose she said with her most gracious of smiles i suppose you have hardly seen lady julia hayman's new house in belgrave square i'm sure that would delight you i should like to take you there some day and show it to you i have seen it said mr rose with languid condescension it was very pretty i thought some of it really quite nice this and the slight rudeness of manner it was said with raised mr rose greatly in lady ambrose's estimation and she began to think with respect of his late utterances well mr herbert mr rose went on what i want to say is this we have here in the present age as it is fragments of the right thing we have a number of isolated right interiors we have a few very few right exteriors but in our ideal state our entire city our london the metropolis of our society would be as a whole as perfect as these fragments taste would not dare be merely an indoor thing it would be written visibly for all to look upon in our streets our squares our gardens could we only mould england to our wishes the thing to do i am persuaded would be to remove london to some kindlier site that it might dare be altogether born anew i myself would have it taken to the south-west and to the sea-coast where the waves are blue and where the air is calm and fine and there ah oh, me sighed mr luke with a lofty sadness Colum non animum mutant pardon me said mr rose few paradoxes and most paradoxes are false are i think so false as that this much at least of sea-like man's mind has that scarcely anything so distinctly gives a tone to it as the colour of the skies he lives under and i was going to say 
he went on looking out dreamily towards the evening waves that as the imagination is a quick workman i can at this moment see our metropolis already transplanted and rebuilt i seem to see it now as it were from a distance with its palaces its museums its churches its convents its gardens its picture galleries a cluster of domed and pillared marble sparkling on a grey headland it is rome it is athens it is florence arisen and come to life again in these modern days the aloe tree of beauty again blossoms there under the azure stainless sky do you know mr rose said lady ambrose in her most cordial manner all this is very beautiful and certainly no one can think london as it is more ugly than i do that's natural in me isn't it being a denizen of poor prosaic south audley street as i am but don't you think that your notion is it's very beautiful i quite feel that but don't you think it is perhaps a little too dreamlike too unreal if you know what i mean such a city said mr rose earnestly is indeed a dream but it is a dream which we might make a reality with circumstances only permit of it we have many amongst us who know what is beautiful and who passionately desire it and would others only be led by these it is quite conceivable that we might some day have a capital the entire aspect of which should be the visible embodiment of our finest and most varied culture our most sensitive taste and our deepest aesthetic measure of things this is what this capital of our new republic must be this dwelling-place of our ideal society we shall have houses galleries streets theatres such as giulio romano or giorgio vasari or giulio campi would have rejoiced to look at we shall have metal-work worthy of the hand of ghiberti and the praise of michelangelo we shall rival domenico beccafumi with our pavements as you wander through our thoroughfares and our gardens your feelings will not be jarred by the presence of human vulgarity or the desolating noise of traffic nor in every spare space will your eyes be caught by abominable advertisements of excursion trains to brighton or of horniman's cheap tea they will rest instead here on an exquisite fountain here on a statue here on a bust of zeus or hermes or Aphrodite glimmering in a laurelled nook or on a mater dolorosa looking down on you from her holy shrine or on the carved marble gateposts of our palace gardens or on their wrought iron or wrought bronze gates or perhaps on such triumphal arches as that which antonio sangallo constructed in honour of charles v and of which you must all remember the description given by vasari such a city said mr rose would be the externalization of the human spirit in the highest state of development that we can conceive for it we should there see expressed openly all our appreciations of all the beauty that we can detect in the world's whole history the wind of the spirit that breathed there would blow to us from all the places of the past and be charged with infinite odours every frieze on our walls every clustered capital of a marble column would be a garland or nosegay of associations indeed our whole city as compared with the london that is now would be itself a nosegay as compared with a faggot and as related to the life that i would see lived in it it would be like a shell murmuring with all the world's memories and held to the ear of the two twins life and love mr rose had got so dreamy by this time that he felt himself the necessity of turning a little more matter-of-fact again you will see what i mean plainly enough he said if you will just think of our architecture and consider how that naturally will be yes said mr luke i should be glad to hear about our architecture how that naturally will be mr rose went on of no style in particular the deuce it won't exclaimed mr luke no continued mr rose unmoved no style in particular but a renaissance of all styles it will matter nothing to us whether they be pagan or catholic 
classical or medieval we shall be quite without prejudice or bigotry to the eye of true taste an aquinas in his cell before a crucifix or a narcissus gazing at himself in a still fountain are in their own ways you know equally beautiful well really said miss merton i cannot fancy st thomas being a very taking object to people who don't believe in him either as a saint or as a philosopher i always think that except from a christian point of view a saint can be hardly better described than by newman's lines as a bundle of bones whose breath infects the world before his death i remember the lines well said mr rose calmly and the writer you mention puts them in the mouth of a yelping devil but devils as far as i know are not generally except perhaps milton's conspicuous for taste indeed if we may trust goethe the very touch of a flower is torture to them dante's biggest devil cried mr saunders to everyone's amazement chewed judas iscariot like a quid of tobacco to all eternity he at any rate knew what he liked mr rose started and visited mr saunders with a rapid frown he then proceeded turning again to miss merton as if nothing had happened let me rather he said read a nice sonnet to you which i had sent to me this morning and which was in my mind just now these lines mr rose here produced a paper from his pocket were written by a boy of eighteen a youth of extraordinary promise i think whose education i may myself claim to have had some share in directing listen he said laying the verses before him on a clean plate three visions in the watches of one night made sweet my sleep almost too sweet to tell one was narcissus by a woodside well and on the moss his limbs and feet were white and one queen venus blown for my delight across the blue sea in a rosy shell and one a lean aquinas in his cell kneeling his pen in hand with aching sight strained toward a carven christ and of these three i knew not which was fairest first i turned towards that soft boy who laughed and fled from me towards venus then and she smiled once and she fled also then with teeming heart i yearned o angel of the schools towards christ with thee yes murmured mr rose to himself folding up the paper they are dear lines now there he said we have a true and tender expression of the really catholic spirit of modern aestheticism which holds nothing common or unclean it is in this spirit i say that the architects of our state will set to work and thus for our houses for our picture galleries for our churches i trust we shall have many churches they will select and combine do you seriously mean broke in allen a little impatiently that it is a thing to wish for and to look forward to that we should abandon all attempts at original architecture and content ourselves with simply sponging on the past i do replied mr rose suavely and for this reason if for no other that the world can now successfully do nothing else nor indeed is it to be expected or even wished that it should you say we have no good architecture now exclaimed lady ambrose but mr rose have you forgotten our modern churches don't you think them beautiful perhaps you never go to all saints i every now and then said mr rose when i am in the weary mood for it attend the services of our english ritualists and i admire their churches very much indeed in some places the whole thing is really managed with surprising skill the dim religious twilight fragrant with the smoke of incense the tangled roofs that the music seems to cling to the tapers the high altar and the strange intonation of the priests 
all produce a curious old-world effect and seem to unite one with things that have been long dead indeed it all seems to me far more a part of the past than the services of the catholics lady ambrose did not express her approbation of the last part of this sentiment out of regard for miss merton but she gave a smile and a nod of pleased intelligence to mr rose yes mr rose went on there is a regretful insincerity about it all that is very nice and that at once appeals to me gleich einer alten halverklungen sage the priests are only half in earnest the congregations even then i am quite sure interrupted lady ambrose with vigour that you can never have heard mr cope preach i don't know said mr rose languidly i never inquired nor have i ever heard any one so much as mention the names of any of them now all that lady ambrose were life really in the state it should be you would be able to keep do you seriously and in sober earnest mean allen again broke in that you think it is a good thing that all our art and architecture should be borrowed and insincere and that our very religion should be nothing but a dilettante memory the opinion said mr rose which by the way you slightly misrepresent is not mine only but that of all those of our own day who are really devoting themselves to art for its own sake i will try to explain the reason of this in the world's life just as in the life of a man there are certain periods of eager and all-absorbing action and these are followed by periods of memory and reflection we then look back upon our past and become for the first time conscious of what we are and of what we have done we then see the dignity of toil and the grand results of it the beauty and the strength of faith and the fervent power of patriotism which whilst we laboured and believed and loved we were quite blind to upon such a reflective period has the world now entered it has acted and believed already its task now is to learn to value action and belief to feel and to be thrilled at the beauty of them and the chief means by which it can learn this is art the art of a renaissance for by the power of such art all that was beautiful strong heroic or tender in the past all the actions passions fates aspirations of the world that lie so many fathom deep in the years float upwards to the tranquil surface of the present and make our lives like what seems to me one of the loveliest things in nature the iridescent film on the face of a stagnant water yes the past is not dead unless we choose that it shall be so christianity itself is not dead there is nothing of it that doth fade but turns into something rich and strange for us to give a new tone to our lives with and believe me mr rose went on gathering earnestness that the happiness possible in such conscious periods is the only true happiness indeed the active periods of the world were not really happy at all we only fancy them to have been so by a pathetic fallacy is the hero happy during his heroism no but after it when he sees what his heroism was and reads the glory of it in the eyes of youth or maiden all this is very poor stuff very poor stuff murmured dr jenkinson whose face had become gradually the very picture of crossness do you mean mr rose said miss merton with a half humorous half incredulous smile that we never value religion till we have come to think it nonsense not nonsense no exclaimed mr rose in gentle horror i only meant that it never lights our lives so beautifully as when it is leaving them like the evening sun it is in such periods of the world's life that art springs into being in its greatest splendour your raphael miss merton who painted you your dear madonnas was a luminous cloud in the sunset sky of the renaissance a cloud that took its fire from a faith that was sunk or sinking 
i'm afraid that the faith is not quite sunk yet said miss merton with a slight sudden flush in her cheeks and with just the faintest touch of suppressed anger mr saunders mr stockton mr storks and mr luke all raised their eyebrows no said mr rose such cyclic sunsets are happily apt to linger mr rose exclaimed lady ambrose with her most gracious of smiles of course every one who has ears must know that all this is very beautiful but i am positively so stupid that i haven't been quite able to follow it all i will try to make my meaning clearer he said in a brisker tone i often figure to myself an unconscious period and a conscious one as two women one an untamed creature with embrowned limbs native to the air and the sea the other marble-white and swan-soft couched delicately on cushions before a mirror and watching her own supple reflection gleaming in the depths of it on the one is the sunshine and the sea-spray the wind of heaven and her unbound hair are playmates the light of the sky is in her eyes on her lips is a free laughter we look at her and we know that she is happy we know it mark me but she knows it not turn however to the other and all is changed outwardly there is no gladness there her dark gleaming eyes open depth within depth upon us like the circles of a new inferno there is a clear shadowy pallor on her cheek only her lips are scarlet there is a sadness a languor even in the grave tendrils of her heavy hair and in each changing curve of her bosom as she breathes or sighs what a very odd man mr rose is said lady ambrose in a loud whisper he always seems to talk of everybody as if they had no clothes on does he mean by this that we ought to be always in the dumps yes mr rose was meanwhile proceeding his voice again growing visionary there is no eagerness no action there and yet all eagerness all action is known to her as the writing on an open scroll only as she reads even in the reading of it action turns into emotion and eagerness into a sighing memory yet such a woman really may stand symbolically for us as the patroness and the lady of all gladness who makes us glad in the only way now left us and not only in the only way but in the best way the way of ways her secret is self-consciousness she knows that she is fair she knows too that she is sad but she sees that sadness is lovely and so sadness turns to joy such a woman may be taken as a symbol not of our architecture only but of all the aesthetic surroundings with which we shall shelter and express our life such a woman do i see whenever i enter a ritualistic church i know said mrs sinclair that very peculiar people do go to such places but mr rose she said with a look of appealing inquiry i thought they were generally rather overdressed than otherwise the imagination said mr rose opening his eyes in grave wonder at mrs sinclair may give her what garb it chooses our whole city then the city of our new republic will be in keeping with this spirit it will be the architectural and decorative embodiment of the most educated longings of our own times after order and loveliness and delight whether of the senses or the imagination it will be as it were a resurrection of the past in response to the longing and the passionate regret of the present it will be such a resurrection as took place in italy during its greatest epoch only with this difference you seem to have forgotten trade and business altogether said dr jenkinson i think however rich you intend to be you will find that they are necessary yes mr rose you're not going to deprive us of all our shops i hope said lady ambrose because you know said mrs sinclair with a soft maliciousness we can't go without dresses altogether mr rose 
and if i were there she continued plaintively i should want a bookseller to publish the scraps of verse poetry as i am pleased to call it that i am always writing pooh said mr rose a little annoyed we shall have all that somewhere of course but it will be out of the way in a sort of piraeus where the necessary capelloi a sort of what said lady ambrose mr rose merely means said donald gordon that there must be good folding-doors between the offices and the house of life and that the servants are not to be seen walking about in the pleasure-grounds yes said mr rose exactly so well then said lady ambrose i quite agree with you mr rose and if wishing were only having i've not the least doubt that we should all of us be going back to mr rose's city to-morrow instead of to london with its carts and cabs and smoke and all its thousand and one drawbacks i'm sure she said turning to miss merton you would my dear with all your taste it certainly said miss merton smiling all sounds very beautiful all i am afraid of is that we should not be quite worthy of it nay said mr rose but the very point is that we shall be worthy of it and that it will be worthy of us i said if you recollect just now that the world's ideal of the future must resemble in many ways its memory of the italian renaissance but don't let that mislead you it may resemble that but it will be something far in advance of it during the last three hundred years in fact during the last sixty or seventy years the soul of man has developed strangely in its sentiments and its powers of feeling in its powers in fact of enjoying life as i said i have a work in the press devoted entirely to a description of this growth i have some of the proof-sheets with me and if you will let me i should like to read you one or two passages i don't think much can be made out of that said dr jenkinson with a vindictive sweetness human sentiment dresses itself in different fashions as human ladies do but i think beneath the surface it is much the same i mean he added suddenly recollecting that he might thus seem to be rooting up the wheat of his own opinions along with the tares of mr rose's i mean that i don't think in seventy years or even in three hundred you will be able to show that human nature has very much changed i don't think so unfortunately however the doctor found that instead of putting down mr rose by this he had only raised up mr luke ah jenkinson i think you are wrong there said mr luke as long as we recognize that this growth is at present confined to a very small minority the fact of such growth is the most important the most significant of all facts indeed our friend mr rose is quite right thus far in the stress he lays on our appreciation of the past that we have certainly in these modern times acquired a new sense by which alone the past can be appreciated truly the sense which if i may invent a phrase for it i should call that of historical perspective so that now really for the first time the landscape of history is beginning to have some intelligible charm for us and this you know is not all our whole views of things you jenkinson must know this as well as i do the zeitgeist breeds upon them and they do not die but they are changed they are enlightened the doctor was too much annoyed to make any audible answer to this but he murmured with some emphasis to himself that's not what mr rose was saying that's not what i was contradicting you take luke a rather more rose-coloured view of things than you did last night said mr storks no said mr luke with a sigh far from it i am not denying pray jenkinson remember this that the majority of us are at present either barbarians or philistines and the ugliness of these is more glaring now than at any former time but that any of us are able to see them thus distinctly in their true colours itself shows that there must be a deal of light somewhere 
even to make darkness visible some light is needed we should always recollect that we are only discontented with ourselves when we are struggling to be better than ourselves and in many ways said lawrence i think the struggle has been successful take for instance the pleasure we get now from the aspects of external nature and the way in which these seem to mix themselves with our lives this certainly is something distinctly modern and nearly all our other feelings it seems to me have changed just like this one and have become more sensitive and more highly organized if we may judge by its expression in literature love has certainly and that i suppose is the most important and comprehensive feeling in life does mr lawrence only suppose that sighed mrs sinclair casting down her eyes well said dr jenkinson our feelings about these two things about love and external nature perhaps have changed somewhat yes i think they have i think you might make an interesting magazine article out of that but hardly more i rather said lawrence apologetically agree with mr luke and mr rose that all our feelings have developed just as these two have and i think this is partly owing to the fusion in our minds of our sacred and secular ideas which indeed you were speaking of this morning in your sermon thus to find some rational purpose in life was once merely enjoined as a supernatural duty in our times it has taken our common nature upon it and become a natural longing though i fear he added softly a fruitless one yes suddenly exclaimed lady grace who had been listening intently to her nephew's words and if you are speaking of modern progress otho you should not leave out the diffusion of those grand ideas of justice and right and freedom and humanity which are at work in the great heart of the nation we are growing cultivated in mr luke's noble sense of the word and our whole hearts revolt against the way in which women have hitherto been treated and against the cruelties which dogma asserts the good god can practise and the cruelties on the poor animals which wicked men do practise and war too lady grace went on a glow mounting into her soft faded cheek think how fast we are outgrowing that england at any rate will never watch the outbreak of another war with all its inevitable cruelties without giving at least one sob that shall make all europe pause and listen indeed we must not forget how the entire substance of religion is ceasing to be a mass of dogmas and is becoming embodied instead in practice and in action quite true lady grace said mr luke lady grace was just about to have given a sign for rising but mr luke's assent detained her as to war he went on there may of course be different opinions questions of policy may arise as if any policy murmured lady grace could justify us in such a thing but religion yes that as i have been trying to teach the world is the great and important point on which culture is beginning to cast its light and with just the effect which you describe it is true that culture is at present but a little leaven hid in a barrel of meal but still it is doing its work slowly and in the matter of religion indeed in all matters for religion rightly understood embraces all i do like to hear mr luke talk sometimes murmured lady grace its effect is just this to show us that religion in any civilized any reasonable any sweet sense can never be found except embodied in action that it is in fact nothing but right action pointed winged as it were by right emotion by a glow an aspiration an aspiration towards god lady grace sighed with feeling not of course mr luke went on confidentially that petulant pedant of the theologians that irritable angry father with the very uncertain temper but towards an infinite inscrutable loving being began lady grace with a slight moisture in her eyes 
quite so said mr luke not waiting to listen towards that great law that great verifiable tendency of things that great stream whose flowing such of us as are able are now so anxiously trying to accelerate there is no vain speculation about creation and first causes and consciousness here which are matters we can never verify and which matter nothing to us but stammered lady grace aghast mr luke do you mean to say that but it surely must matter something whether god can hear our prayers and will help us and whether we owe him any duty and whether he is conscious of what we do and will judge us it must matter mr luke leaned forwards towards lady grace and spoke to her in a confidential whisper not two straws not that he said with a smile and a very slight fillip of his finger and thumb lady grace was thunderstruck but again she stammered softly and eagerly unless you say there is no personal mr luke hated the word personal it was so much mixed up in his mind with theology that he even winced if he had to speak of personal talk my dear lady grace he said in a tone of surprised remonstrance you are talking like a bishop well certainly said lady grace rising and struggling she hardly knew how into a smile nolo episcopari you see i do know a little latin mr luke yes said mr luke with a bow as he pushed back a chair for her and a bit that has more wisdom in it than all other ecclesiastical latin put together we're going to leave you gentlemen to smoke your cigarettes said lady grace we think of going down on the beach for a little and looking at the sea which is getting silvery and by and by i dare say you will not expel us if we come back for a little tea and coffee scarcely had the last trailing skirt swept glimmering out of the pavilion into the mellow slowly brightening moonlight than the gentlemen were astounded by this sudden and terrible exclamation it was soon found to have issued from mr saunders who had hardly spoken more than a few sentences during the whole of dinner what can be the matter was inquired by several voices my fool of a servant said mr saunders suddenly has i find in packing wrapped up a small sponge of mine in my disproof of god's existence Hoof, shuddered mr rose shrinking from mr saunders's somewhat piercing tones and resting his forehead on his hand my head aches sadly i think i will go down to the sea and join the ladies i said mr saunders if you will excuse me must go and see in what state the document is as i left it drying hung on the handle of my jug no sooner had mr saunders and mr rose departed than dr jenkinson began to recover his equanimity somewhat seeing this mr storks who had himself during dinner been first soothed and then ruffled into silence found suddenly the strings of his tongue loosed now those are the sort of young fellows he said looking after the retreating form of mr saunders that really do a good deal to bring all solid knowledge into contempt in the minds of the half-educated there is a certain hall in london not far from the top of regent street where i am told he gives sunday lectures yes said dr jenkinson sipping his claret it's all very bad taste very bad taste and the worst of it is said mr storks that these young men really get hold of a fact or two and then push them on to their own coarse and insane conclusions which have i admit to the vulgar eye the look of being obvious yes said dr jenkinson with a seraphic sweetness we should always suspect everything that seems very obvious glaring inconsistencies and glaring consistencies are both sure to vanish if you look closely into them now all that about god for instance mr storks went on is utterly uncalled for and as young saunders puts it is utterly misleading 
yes said dr jenkinson it all depends on the way you say it i hardly think said mr stockton with a sublime weariness that we need waste much thought upon his way it is a very common one that of the puppy that barks at the heels of the master whose meat it steals may i said mr herbert gently after a moment's pause ask this for i am a little puzzled here do i understand that mr saunders's arguments may be held on the face of the thing to disprove the existence of god mr storks and mr stockton both stared gravely on mr herbert and said nothing dr jenkinson stared at him too but the doctor's eye lit up into a little sharp twinkle of benign content and amusement and he said no mr herbert i don't think mr saunders can disprove that nor any one else either for the world has at present no adequate definition of god and i think we should be able to define a thing before we can satisfactorily disprove it i think so i have no doubt mr saunders can disprove the existence of god as he would define him all atheists can do that ah murmured mr stockton nobly said but that's not the way the doctor went on to set to work this kind of rude denial we must be loyal to nature we must do nothing per saltum we must be patient we mustn't leap at utopias either religious or irreligious let us be content with the knowledge that all dogmas will expand in proportion as we feel they need expansion for all mere forms are transitory and even the personality of fatal word it was like a match to a cannon ah jenkinson exclaimed mr luke and dr jenkinson stopped instantly we see what you mean and capital sense it is too but you do yourself as much as any one else a great injustice in not seeing that the age is composed of two parts and that the cultured minority is infinitely in advance of the philistine majority which alone is properly speaking the present the minority being really the soul of the future waiting for its body which at present can exist only as a utopia it is the wants of this soul that we have been talking over this afternoon when the ladies come back to us there are several things that i should like to say and then you will see what we mean jenkinson and that even poor rose has really some right on his side at the mention of mr rose's name the doctor's face again curdled into frost i don't think so that was all he said End of Book 4, Chapter 1